0: following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 1015 or check us out at DearingChristian.org. We've been talking about these past couple of weeks about Jesus' last week of his life before the cross. And interestingly enough, how so much of what we have, the first four books of our New Testament, is dedicated to one week, and I mean that, one week, the first of a week to the end of the week, and, and the way that, that just the climax and, and the way that that week ended just mind-blowing, and we're doing this to prepare ourselves for Easter. Um, we should celebrate what Jesus did for us all the time, every Sunday, every day, but it's not every weekend of the year that a large portion of our world turns their eyes towards not an Easter bunny, all right, but towards a cross, okay? And that's something that we need to, to be aware of and allow it to change our focus as well because Jesus was so focused, so fixated on that cross that week. Um, Tim, why don't you throw those, those letters up there? And uh, I'm going to try to explain this a little bit. That is not Mr. Mmm, all All right. That represents something, and I have a feeling when I tell you what that represents that when I say it represents me many times, I think I will be on common ground with a few people in this room, maybe all of us. All right, that is not Mr. Um, what that stands for is this, most recent major misspoke moment. You got that? Most recent major misspoke moment, okay? Okay. I'm going to tell you about, now, okay, sometimes what comes out of my mouth is not what I intend to come out of my mouth. I know I'm probably all alone here in that, whereas what's going on up here and what comes out, this thing right here don't really match up. And a misspoke moment can be a, a it can happen in two ways. One is there's like no filter. Like, there should be a filter between what's going on up here and coming out here many times. And sometimes we, um, like, remove that thing, okay? And that can result in a misspoke moment. But the other one that it can result in misspoke moment is this. When what comes out here doesn't sound anything like what's going on up here. And let me tell you about my most, my most recent major misspoke moment. All right. I married into a family that's quite large. And what that means is there are a lot of birthday parties, okay? It's like, I mean, you throw my side of the family into Donna's side, and there's like birthday parties, birthday parties, birthday parties. There's just lots and lots of birthday parties. and um, But not all those birthday parties are exactly the same, because get this, you only have your first birthday one time, all right? So... I was going to my niece's first birthday party. It happened a couple of weeks ago. So my, my family was there. All right, And not only was this a niece who was celebrating her first birthday party, which she will remember none of it. okay? It was her parents' first child. So we've got the first birthday party of a first child going on here, all right? And I get involved. I don't know how this works out. Every time we have a family birthday party, my wife is working, like every single time. So guess who's representing our home right here? Okay, so I am the representation, and I'm thinking, all right, that's a little bit of weight to carry, you know, first birthday party. So I got it planned out, folks. I mean, I'm pretty sure you got to plan things out. So I'm taking a pocket knife with me. You know Why? I'm taking this pocket knife because you go to these parties and you know what happens. It's usually a grandma or an aunt that uses five rolls of scotch tape and throw a little duct tape on there. And this one-year-old is supposed to get this thing apart. And you, 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 you sit there forever as they're trying to get this thing apart. So I'm going to bring a knife to help in this situation. And guys, I got it all planned out. I should have taken, I should have had note cards. Should have had note cards. Because this is what I've, I had my whole conversation with my brother-in-law planned out. All right? That's, that's—that's. I know, I'm a dork. All right? I'm planning out conversations with my brother-in-law. All right? But, but okay, this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to pull the pocket knife out of my pocket, I'm going to say this. I'm going to read it because I don't want to butcher it here. How many times have we been to one of these birthday parties and no one has a dumb knife? Perfect. Nice conversation, you know. Might even get a pat on the back. Good for you. Bring in the knife. Uh What can go wrong with this, right? Well, I pull out the pocket knife, and this was what comes out of my mouth. How many of these dumb birthday parties have we been to, and no one has a knife? And he's just staring at me. What do you say to that? I mean, there's no taking that back. I mean... I'm, I think I'm going to send the podcast to him this week, because I, I couldn't, I was like, I didn't mean, I meant to, I meant to say dumb knife, not dumb, I mean, I, you just, you just, it's like one of those bad drop the mic moments and just back away, okay? Major, most recent major misspoke moment, that is mine, and I got a question for you though. In my defense, parties. You go to parties, there's lots and lots of parties. Sometimes you can make it, sometimes you cannot make it to the party. Is it really that big of a deal? Does anybody have a problem with that? And I will tell you, it depends entirely on whose party we're talking about. As we said, we are in Jesus' final week before the cross. Okay, and and he came into Jerusalem. There was this huge celebration taking place the day before. We're talking about Tuesday of that week now. Tuesday. All right. And and the day before, man, Jesus did spring cleaning at the temple. I mean, it was a crazy scene. And and the people because of this and because he's obviously healing people and stuff, Jesus popularity polls are like up here. I mean, he. everybody's loving this guy, except for many of the religious leaders, and they're getting desperate. I mean, there are words that we looked at a couple weeks ago. It was this, the whole world's going after him. What are we going to do? And I'm going to tell you, the combination of those things turns this day into a very long day. This Tuesday of that week, we get more information about Jesus than every other day of his life. Even his crucifixion, even his resurrection, we get so much of this day, okay? The religious leaders, they are desperate, and they decide that they're going to go on the offensive here. They're going to they're try to take Jesus out with his words, Yeah good luck with that. Okay, they've tried trapping him before and it never has worked, but hey, they don't learn very easily, okay? So they decide they're going to trap him with their words and what they say, what they say is, is is they tell us by whose authority you're doing these things. They asked him that same question 3 years earlier. It didn't turn out well for them, but it doesn't keep him from doing it again. And Jesus, oh, he's tired of messing with them. He doesn't want to answer them because they're not going to listen. So he says, "Tell you what." He fires his own offensive back here he says tell you what the baptism of john the baptist was it from god or was it from man and they're like they get in their little holy huddle here and start talking about it like well we can't say it's from god because we if, if we say that that it's from god jesus will ask us why we didn't believe in it and go out there to john but we can't say it's from man because a lot of people here really like john the baptist thought he's a prophet they'll probably stone us so what do they say to jesus Uh, We don't know. (laughs) And Jesus says, all right, well, I'm not answering your question if you're not going to answer mine. But then Jesus, in a way, kind of does answer their question by telling stories. Jesus is an incredible storyteller. We call them parables. And he begins telling parables. He tells a parable about two sons. Now, it's not the son's parable you're thinking of. That was a while back. This son's parable, there were two sons. They were both told to go work in the vineyard. One said, yep, I'll go work. And he didn't do it. The other said, said, I'm not doing it. It's my day off. I'm not working. But he goes and works. Okay. That was one of the parables. And then the one after that was about a vineyard. Now, we spoke about this one, I think, last summer, maybe the summer before. My summer's kind of run together after a while. All right. And and that one was this. This guy, this investor, builds a vineyard. He makes this incredible place that he's going to make a lot of money on. And he has somebody come run it for him while he's away. And a parable about that. Crazy parable, all right? And then after that one, Jesus tells a parable about a party. A party. And that's what we're going to look at. Matthew chapter 22. I hope you're there. You're ready. I'm waiting. Let's look at the first seven verses. Matthew 22. It says this, Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, Tell those who've been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went on their way. One to his own farm, another to his business, The rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Whew, that's not quite the end of the party we were expecting, all right? So what we have here, let's let's dig into this just a little bit, all right? Wedding feast invitations. we got a king here, a powerful king. He's got his kingdom. And, and he has a son that's getting married. Now, he's, he's a planner, all right? And the way these, this would work in that day is a king would send out those invitations to a feast like that months ahead of time. But it wasn't necessarily an invitation to come right now. It's just save the date, all right? We still get those in the mail these days. Save this date. Date, all right so that has been done months before and then the day of early on the day of the king sends out the invitation of the day and his servants go out they they're going not empty-handed they've got these packages more about those later all right and they're going to the people who've been invited saying it's the day come celebrate with us as a matter of fact there in the passage it says, I've prepared my dinner and stuff. Our translation kind of messed that up a little bit. Actually in the Greek, it is it is the morning meal. I mean like it's it's like breakfast is ready. All right. You need to come and do this. Now this is something that we've got to understand that the king sends these invitations out. Their wedding feasts were nothing like what we in our culture think of of a wedding celebration, reception, those sorts of things. I mean, if we go to a wedding, you know, kind of what I've come to expect is punch, maybe cake. I mean, if, if it's like, like big time, you know, there might be a meal there, a small meal, something along those lines, you know. And then you're done. In a few hours, you go home. Their wedding feast lasted days. Okay? Not hours. Days. So understand that there was a level of commitment here to go to one of these things, all right? One other thing to keep in the back of your mind as well. Wedding feasts were often used to describe the relationship between the Messiah and his people. Like the culmination of that relationship, the Messiah and his people. So keep that in the back of your minds as well. All right, back to our group here. Um, now, months before, they had been asked to come and save the date for this wedding feast. The king had done his due diligence, so he sends out his messengers. And apparently, since that time, the crowds have changed their minds since that first announcement went out. They refused to come. Matter of fact, in the New American Standard, it says they were unwilling to come. And in the Greek, what that means is they were persistently unwilling to come. It's like, no, we're not coming. No, we're not, we're, we're not coming. Okay? They were adamant about this. And all I can think is, wow. I mean, this is the king we're talking about here. He's kind of in charge, you know. All he wants to do is have a party, and you're going to tell him no? So the messengers come back, the servants, the slaves, they come back. They tell the king, "Hi, hey, they're not coming, king. And the, the king, he's a patient man. He gives them another opportunity. sends out other slaves. These slaves go, and it says, I believe in verse 5, it says that the crowd paid no attention to them. They didn't care. They went about their daily business. One guy, I mean, that farm, he said, I got a, I got a farm I got to go to. That farm literally is a field. He had to go work in the dirt. I got to go work some dirt here. I got to work some ground. Right? And then another guy, he's like, he's like, hey, I got a meeting with the boss. And you know what happens if you don't show up for the boss? Kind of rough, you know? So I can't come either. I've got stuff going on. Boss gets a little grumpy. And then it gets a little weird. Says so these slaves are like, they're not coming. They go to others, and the others mistreat the slaves, kill the slaves. And that would be utterly ridiculous if it wasn't so true. You look throughout the Old Testament and see what happens to God's messengers sent to stubborn people. Many times it does not end well for those messengers. The response of the king in our story here is predictable. He wipes out those who had first been invited. They are done. He wipes them out. And the language used there, in verse 7, the king was enraged. He sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. That is a picture of Old Testament judgment, folks. I mean, you can read about those things happening. I think, come to mind is Assyria and Babylon and, and the history of God's people in the Old Testament. The king is mad. And he executes judgment. Let's look and read about that. Beginning with verse 8 in Matthew 22. Now the king said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, find as many as you can find there, and invite them to the wedding feast. Those slaves went, they went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. See, our our king has executed judgment, but the problem is his son's getting married and the wedding hall is still empty, okay? And he's like, that's just not going to do for my son. So he sends out his slaves and says, you go everywhere. Literally, it's the words used is every fork in the road. You go everywhere and you gather the people up. You gather them up. You tell them this, do you want to come and eat and drink of the best? Do you want to come and go to a party that is fit for royalty? I mean, what commoner out there isn't going to jump on that invitation? That's exactly what they do. They don't say no. Neither the good or the bad people that are invited now, they don't say no. They go to this party. The wedding hall is filled. The son of the king has a crowd. He has somebody there to say, oh, Bride's beautiful, the groom's handsome. I don't know, I've never heard anybody say, why is it? I never say the groom's handsome. It's just always a beautiful bride. Oh no! not know. know. Anyway, something about that, man. I don't know. I don't know. All right, anyway, but not I'm going to chase that squirrel. So the king's looking around. The king's happy. Everything is good. And this is where you think that this story would end, and then Jesus doesn't end it. Jesus just something else. To this story. Let's begin in verse 11. But When the king came in to look over the dinner guest. He saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. He said to him, friend. How did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. The king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot. And throw him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here we got the king. I mean, he's in the typical proud dad pose, you know, got the arms crossed, kind of rocking back on his heels just a little bit, you know, just like, oh, it's a good party. It's a good party. Mama's going to be happy. All right, son, it's all good. King's just, it's good. It's good. And he's looking around and he see something, see something that catches his attention and he goes and finds this guy and says, "Uh, what's with your clothes?" I know what you might be thinking. It's like, "Okay, is the king really upset with this guy because he didn't have an Armani?" I mean, is is that what's going on here? I mean, these are the commoners, okay? This guy came from a fork in a road, all right? This guy might be a beggar. I mean, there's no telling what he's got on, you know? And and and, and the man's looking at his clothes. And somewhere in his brain, he's thinking that those clothes are all right. Like, well, maybe he didn't have the money to go buy the clothes. How can the king be upset? Okay, let's back the wagon up just for a second. you remember when I told you a little bit ago that those servants were going out to the people who had been invited months before to tell them today's the day that they took packages with them? You see, in, in these ancient times, especially powerful and powerful, Kings. They would, they would not only prepare the wedding feast for their guests, they would provide wedding clothes for the guests. So this man, along with everyone else, had received a change of clothes to wear to the wedding feast. And for some reason, this guy alone looked at what he had on and thought, eh, he's good enough. You know, I've got a few stains here. You know, got a couple terrors right there. It's not bad. I mean, it's just the king. It's just a wedding for his son. I mean, they'll probably look at that and say, that guy had a hard time getting here. All right? We appreciate him being here. Somewhere in his brain, he's thinking that that outfit was all right. And when the king comes to him and says, friend, which, by the way, is not a delicate way of addressing someone the same way in which Jesus will address Judas when he comes to kiss him on the cheek. It was a rebuke. He said, friend, wear your wedding clothes. What was the guy's response? It wasn't, well, I thought these would be okay. It was, he was speechless. There was nothing he could say because he being invited to this incredible feast, this gala, this amazing And he did not even have the respect to put on the clothes provided for him. Everything was provided. And folks, the guest paid mightily for his error. Jesus, as we've already talked about, is in the height of his popularity in that week. Quite possibly the height of his popularity of his entire ministry, three years of ministry. I mean, there's, this, there's a, quite a crowd here listening to him telling these parables. You've got, you've got the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the ones who are not liking what he's saying. You've got his followers who are very much liking what he's saying. You've probably got others who are just, I really want to find out who this Jesus guy is. In the minds of the Pharisees, they're seeing most of the crowd and think, looking down their nose at them. You see, they said Jesus was a friend of sinners because he would go and hang out with those, with those rough people, you know. And you got all of these people there listening to this story. And it's interesting, with all of those ears listening, Jesus throws something on the end of this story. He could have stopped right there. But he doesn't. Look at verse 14. Jesus speaking to this diverse crowd in front of him says this. For many are called, but few are chosen. This parable is... is tells us a lot of things, and one of the things this parable talks, parable talks about is about God's sovereignty. You see, this is a thing. When Jesus told a parable and he included a king, you know who the king was in all those parables? It was God, okay? We call them stock metaphors in those parables. You see a king talked about in a parable 99.9% of the time, it's God. So meaning those within the parable are in the midst of or a part of God's Kingdom. The son of the king, the son of God. And this parable tells us about this is something you gotta understand, folks, okay? This parable says something to us today. This parable talks about God's, teaches us about God's sovereignty says many are called and they are called by the messengers of God they're called by his message okay but few are chosen and they're chosen by their willingness to respond to the call of God Craig Blomberg he's he's a professor of New Testament theology out at Denver Theological Seminary, and and I'm going to get technical here just for a moment, and then we'll bring it back together, all right? This is what he has to say about this parable. He says, he says, divine sovereignty and human responsibility are finely balanced. Neither can be jettisoned at the expense of the other, and I I like that, but I like even more what my old professor, uh, Mark Moore, had to say, and he said it in this way, He said, God's election includes our response as well as his choice. And when I look at this parable, what jumps off the page at me comes right out of verse 8, and it's one word. The word is worthy. Worthy. And the question has to be, who was worthy to be at that party? Let me jump back in the parable here just for a moment. The first group of people who were invited, they were not worthy because of why? They refused. They refused the invitation. They did not come. They said, no, we got other stuff to do. We're not coming. The second group of people were not worthy because they weren't even the invited guests to begin with. They just went out with this big old net and just grabbed them all up. It says both good and evil. They just grabbed them all and they brought them in. An entire large group of people who were not worthy to be there. What does that have to do with us? Folks, this is a kingdom parable. This isn't just about a king. It's about a kingdom. It's about the kingdom of God. And folks, the kingdom of God is alive and well today. This parable speaks to us today just like it spoke to Jesus' audience then. His kingdom hasn't found its complete and ultimate fulfillment yet. That will take place when Jesus comes to take his people home. But the kingdom of God is moving, it's living, it's active right now within our world. God's kingdom is alive and well. As being a part of that kingdom, that one word jumps off the page at me, but there's one other two words that also jump off the page to me. Now, I don't know if your mind works this way. This is the way my mind works, and this is immediately where my mind goes. And it goes to the guy who didn't have the right clothes on. (laughs) Because he was there. He wasn't any more worthy than anyone else or more unworthy than anyone else. He was there. And something happened because he didn't have the right clothes on. Here's my question. Let's say you're invited to a party. And God is the one throwing the party. What are you going to put on? Well, you're going to go to your closet. You're going to open up the doors. What are you picking out? All right? Now, I can already see some of the, not all, but some of the ladies in here like, whoa. Because there's, most ladies have a few more choices in the closet than their counterpart, their husbands. All right? See, for us guys, we go there. It's like that one, that one, or that one. Okay. Okay. That one's the one I'm going with. It's like... (laughs) That's why it takes so long to go on dates, people. All right? goodness gracious. You just need to take half the wardrobe, get rid of it, and you can make it on time to eat. Okay, but that's a whole different story. All right? So you're going to your closet. You're looking, and you're going to a party that God's throwing. What are you wearing? You got anything in that closet worthy? I mean, I'm telling you. The J.C. Penny suits might be good enough for a wedding, but I don't know about for a God party, okay? Because that's what I got. In the, that's what I got. matter of fact, I'm not wearing one today, okay? But what are you wearing? Why don't you turn somewhere? I told you there's one other place we're going to go. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Right in the middle of your New Testament, it'll be pretty close after those two big books, First and Second Corinthians, and you'll find it. Let me tell you a little bit about this letter before as you're turning there. Paul is writing to to these people, and um, it wasn't. <sighs> It wasn't a good situation why he was writing. Um, they were really messed up. What they were trying to do is they were trying to add stuff to Jesus. It's like, if you want to be a Jesus follower, you have to believe in him, you have to repent, you have to confess, you have to be baptized, and then you've got to do this, 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 okay? Really, it was just one main thing. It was circumcision, all right? And Paul had a big problem with that. He said, you don't take away from the gospel message, you don't add to the gospel message. And he was not happy with these people, Okay? And what he's trying to get them to realize is this. You want to be a part of God's kingdom. The list of what you need is not giant. You want to go to that party, God will clothe you for that party. Look at verses 26 and 27, Galatians 3. Paul says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. What are you wearing to God's eternal party? Nothing in that closet is going to cut it. Nothing in that closet of deeds well done is going to cut it. Folks, Jesus is the only apparel that makes us worthy of the party that lasts forever. Jesus. And people, that's why he was so. Focused and fixated on that cross that week because he knew there was no other way. The question it really amounts to, according to this parable, is this in our kingdom, in the kingdom of God, in our world today, the question is this what will you be wearing when you meet God? Because if you're wearing anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ, that meeting will not go well.